welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace, here again with Freya Spence, and we are coming to you live from our home during the COVID pandemic. And we're going to talk to you guys today a little bit about pain and injury management uh, during lockdown. So um, the other week, we chatted with a colleague on an IG Live, which is not a thing we're very familiar with, um, regarding pain management during lockdown. So while we understand that the regulations are different across all countries right now, in our country... (laughs) And in a large number of other ones, practitioners are not allowed to work at this point in time. So some physiotherapists in our area are offering virtual care. So a lot of that is a form of telehealth. And chiropractors are allowed to treat patients in emergency cases like your ACL just tore or something like that. So in large part, the vast majority of people that we know are not able to currently get or seek out care from their various practitioners. So just as a disclaimer, we're not doling out like medical advice. We're not telling you exactly how to treat any given injury. We work with a lot of clients that are injured and we work with them in conjunction with their practitioners. So our role is centered around all the other pieces of management, meaning the movement pieces, nutrition pieces, and then lifestyle management pieces that our clients need in order to manage pain or recover from injury and so on. So that's our role and we just cannot start sharing techniques for people to try, especially not through a podcast platform. But there are guiding principles when it comes to pain management that every human body can employ uh, successfully. And there are a lot of things that have interestingly come up within our client population over the last six weeks, I believe, that has provided a lot of insight for them in terms of how well they manage pain or um, how well they're managing their injury all on their own. So obviously, we love our practitioners and we love our network it's a lot of pressure on them to assume that they can just fix us, right? So within any injury context or any pain management context, there's the role the practitioner plays, but then there's also the role that we have as individuals. And that is what I consider the active role. So practitioners, um, when they're using things like manual therapy, that would be passive. They're either doing, you know, acupuncture to your tissues or ART or osteopathic techniques, whatever it is, those are passive forms. But within healing, we also have active forms. And those are the ones that we employ every single day or we choose not to. So ultimately, at this point in time, although a lot of people have lost that ability to connect with their practitioners, they do still have a very active part of their healing process or pain management process available to them. So we're big believers that everybody should have tools in their toolbox in order to manage their health and well-being, no matter what facet we're discussing in this particular instance. When it comes to injuries and, and pain management, we still firmly believe that every person needs to have tools that they can lean on in times where they're not able to get access. And with us, we travel a fair bit and I 
often get injured just, you know, even in my sleep. So over the last couple decades, I've built a lot of tools in order to manage health, knowing that I will not always have access to someone to reduce a joint for me or anything like that. So all of that said, this brings us to a key principle that we want everyone to understand is that tissues require frequent exposure in order to change. So this is for better or for worse. Now, again, this comes to our active participation in the process. So we need to do something over and over and over again in order to elicit tissue change. For anybody who has lifted before, they will know that the first couple of times or first several times that uh, maybe they held their body weight on a pull-up bar or they gripped a deadlift bar, their hands were sore and they would have gotten sore quite soon. Over time, that no longer has an impact because you can see and feel the formation of calluses on your hands. For runners out there, when you're first getting back from an injury or first adapting, you know that those first few runs, you need to go a little bit shorter in terms of your overall volume. You need to go lower in terms of your intensity because we're allowing for adaptation to take place. So that adaptation takes place everywhere in our lives. (laughs) The first time you sat at a desk, you probably weren't that comfortable. Maybe you fidgeted a lot or maybe your shoulders hurt. Over time, we adapt to that. Now that adaptation isn't always super favorable, but it's happening all the time. So when it comes to injuries, they tend not to be from, there may be a catalytic moment, but when your shoulders start to nag you, if you cannot remember an acute moment, it probably didn't happen acutely anyway. It's been a long process coming. So when it comes to managing your tissue health, managing your joints and how you feel, you end up having to take a really global picture. And if you've been doing something for a very long time, it can be hard to figure it out, which is why a lot of people work with practitioners to take an outside perspective of the entire situation. So with that in mind, we're going to discuss some of the overall strategies and things that will heighten pain, techniques you can use to decrease pain sensitivity, and overall outlook on how to assess your own daily demands that could be contributing positively or negatively to your sensations. So right off the bat, things that will heighten your pain are fear, stress, lack of movement, lack of sleep. I probably should have mentioned that one first, to be fair. (laughs) And inflammatory inputs. I'm just going to say inputs because that includes foods, but there are a lot of other pieces in there as well that include our, our direct environment. So we know that fear and stress will heighten pain. The irony of that is that initially they can actually be a little bit analgesic. So that just means that if you have an acute amount of stress or fear, you may not actually feel pain immediately because the surge in adrenaline and cortisol, like everything is working to allow you to combat whatever that acute stressor is. It's later on when you come down from it that you may start to feel like, oh, I'm sore or my neck hurts, my back hurts. But in the moment that all of that was happening, you didn't necessarily feel it. 
Outside of that though, chronic stress does drive up pain sensitivity because your body is on constant high alert. So in our current climate, we understand that a lot of people have a myriad of stressors in their lives, whether it's much greater demands because they're trying to work from home and take care of the kids and figure out what's happening the next day or next week. Others have lost their jobs. So that's going to heighten stress because we honestly don't really know what's going to happen moving forward right now. So there are a lot of inputs right now from a stress perspective. One of the best things you can do at this current point in time is reduce the amount of inputs that come in from electronic devices. News sources are not super positive and uh, really focus in on what you're doing to take care of your well-being every day because things that are out of your control that are personal stressors to you may be of course very real but spending the whole day focused on them and not acting on things that you are able to control even just like a little bit of body care can increase pain sensitivity and our overall reflexive reaction to it so you're holding more tension within your system yeah and let's be honest right now screen time is up for pretty much everyone those out there who are still working a lot of people now are working remotely so they're having zoom calls so they're looking at the screen a lot more often than usual a lot of people have gone from regular personal training with people to now virtual sessions so again that's more screen time and then you know if you're not outside moving as much then you can again just turn to your screen to try and get a little kick of dopamine so you just open up the instagram or the news and you start scrolling through and as much as you might not consciously be aware of it a lot of those inputs if they're making you feel anxious in any way or maybe you're seeing all these other people out there jumping around and having these great big workouts and you're like ah, i don't really feel like doing that again it can create this negative spiral which is going to be an inflammatory process so you have to be very very mindful of that screen time because right now it's really really high and it can have a lot of deleterious effects if you're not careful with it I think I probably should have mentioned it earlier too is that sensitivity, pain sensitivity, discomfort is not always a direct reflection of tissue damage. And now I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not going to go into all the details there. I'd rather have an expert discuss it. But this is an area that I've spent a lot of time learning, researching, experiencing, and then working with professionals on. And we can conclusively say that it is not a direct reflection of tissue health. So you can get a crazy amount of pain sensation and if it's related to a really high system threat, it can be sending you, your body can be sending you all these signals to essentially run for your life or pass out when there hasn't been any actual tissue damage. That's just one example. Obviously, I'm not saying you need to just dismiss it and say it's all in your head, but it is important for a lot of people to realize that that pain is not always a direct reflection. So it's it's not something to be fearful of. Let's be curious about it. And when we're curious about it, we start looking at all of the different facets. So yes, maybe there's an injury. But what's your stress like? And then are you sleeping? Because if you're not sleeping, your sensitivity, everything goes up. Most people can appreciate that when they haven't slept well or they haven't eaten well, they're a little bit more on edge. So your whole system is on edge, which means that sensitivity will also be up. So it's where we really encourage people to embrace curiosity and awareness of their systems rather than get caught up in fear of 
of fragility within their system. Exactly. The pain that you feel is real. You're feeling that. But the cause of that pain may not be what you think it is. So it might not be this really serious injury that you might be worried about, but it can be something that is merely caused by excessive stress, lack of sleep, and so forth. Mm -hmm. So all of that said, we're going to discuss some of the things that you can do personally to sort of take an outside view of what you're going through. And um, just a, a quick note, certain things that will make it worse that we haven't already mentioned are low hydration levels, low nutrients. So again, that does go back into inflammatory foods and early or chronic use of NSAIDs. So we're talking about things like Advil. If you go to that right away, if there is a tissue pathology that you have been diagnosed with, just know that that's not necessarily the best route as far as managing the pain of it. NSAIDs have been shown to negatively impact tendon healing, but most importantly, they also have like chronic use of that has an impact on the gut and that will then carry through to your body's ability to manage inflammation. So although it can mask the discomfort, you actually don't personally get a very good read on it. So just food for thought, if you're open to not immediately defaulting to that, if that normally is your default, there are other ways that you can lower your pain or uh, discomfort response. And then obviously, if you're working with a practitioner virtually and they feel very strongly that you need that, then that's a different story. One other little note is it is currently allergy season. Um, I certainly know that every time I step outside, yes. all of my everything is really itchy. And antihistamines are in use by a large number of the population. But just knowing that they can delay recovery a little bit if taken in close conjunction with your workouts is important. So if you are taking those, and obviously you've discussed that with your physician, it can be helpful to have them away from your workouts just so that um, immediately post-workout, your body is actually just going through the natural process of recovering from it, which does involve an inflammatory phase and you're not delaying that. So it's just something to look at if you are taking any of those things. So that said, one of the biggest things that we've seen with our client base is having to take stock of what has been added in to the days or removed. So a lot of people have had a complete change in schedule. We most certainly have. There's There are some similarities, of course, but there are some dramatic changes there. So taking stock of what's been removed. Things like this would include less driving, perhaps. Maybe you are no longer having to commute to work chances are very high you don't when it concerns neck shoulder and hip health less time spent in a car is probably a really good thing it's also a nice thing if that process generally stresses you out if that's your way of decompressing at the beginning and the end of the day then you may be missing that and being at home if you're working without those stop gaps can actually cause the opposite effect where now all of a sudden you don't have that commute. So now you've just added two to three hours to your workday. So it's important to just take a look at what you have added in, what you don't have anymore and go from there to figure out, okay, you know what? I used to walk as part of my commute and now I don't have that at either end of the day and my back is hurting a lot more. And those two pieces may be connected. So if you can start to mimic things that have been removed that were positive for your health, then that's really important. If something has been removed and you're like, yeah, that's really great that I don't have two hours of driving. 
awesome. Take full advantage of that right now, but just make sure you didn't replace that by an additional two hours of full throttle work. Less road rage is generally a good thing for health. Especially for Dane. <laughs> hey, man, when I when I quit that job and I was off the roads, oh, I think my mental health and just general overall health got a hell of a lot better. Yes. Well, and that brings me to the point of breathing. So this is an interesting one. When it comes to pain management, I think a lot of people who have experienced inexplicable pain have been told to just breathe or just breathe and do yoga. Now, I think it is often delivered in a little bit of a dismissive way or perhaps too simplified to the point where it's actually offensive to the patient and I don't blame them. All of us breathe. We know this. There's a big attention to it. We just put out uh, one of our colleagues, Natasha from Nourish Yoga Therapy. We just put out her breath book on our site and we will also be publishing more regarding that in the near future. We recently did a podcast with Patrick McCune all about breathing. The research is very sound. We know that it impacts our physiology and it is considered autonomic, mm-hmm. meaning you are going to keep doing that uh, whether you think about it or not. So w- when it comes to pain management, reducing your breathing rate is really important. If you're afraid and you picture a moment where you're scared of something happening right now, you'll probably hold your breath. If you've ever been really riled up and stressed out, if you were to check your breathing rate, you're probably breathing really, really fast. Now, both of those instances, when done chronically, are not very good. When we're in pain, we do tend to sip air initially, but you can lower that pain response by slowing down your exhales dramatically and ensuring that you're breathing through your nose, you're not sipping air. The other thing is if we continue to sip air or to briefly hold our breath, part of this is because we're trying to still the structure that hurts. The challenge with that is you're also going to be developing muscular tension throughout your neck and throughout your shoulders. And if going on long enough, you're not helping your whole body's oxygenation. So when encountering acute pain or chronic pain, it's helpful to lower your breathing rate. So you extend your exhales. If you need to breathe in through your nose for four and out through your mouth for eight, that's a good strategy. Going in and out through your nose is especially helpful. And then humming is helpful. So humming produces 15 times more nitric oxide, I believe, which is a vasodilator. So it lowers your blood pressure and this can lower pain sensitivity. If you imagine the first time, well, maybe you don't remember, you burned your hand, you probably drew it back really fast, held your breath, tried not to scream, and then were breathing very heavily while shaking your hand or while holding it and applying pressure. So these are other stimulus points that can help you manage that, but to down tune it and ensure that you don't start blacking out from pain, which is a strategy I use all the time, is to lower your breathing rate and then to hum. So these have profound physiological impacts and they also help you get a better read on what's actually going on. Because if you keep breathing at that really high rate, you're going to start feeling increased pain sensitivity. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean that anything has gotten any worse. Yeah, one of the key take-homes from the podcast we did with Patrick McEwen, or a really important thing for everyone to understand is that the mouth is not technically a breathing organ. 
Like the mouth is not involved in respiratory actions. If you look in a textbook, if you don't breathe through your mouth, you speak through your mouth and you eat through your mouth. So people who are breathing through their mouths all day, that is going to heighten anxiety. It's going to heighten pain. It's just a habit that if you catch yourself mouth breathing, immediately start breathing through your nose, start slowing down those exhales, and that can have a massive impact. Another quick little thing Freya mentioned, you know, practitioners will say, oh, just do yoga. You know, it's something I've had several like strongman athletes ask me, hey, do you think yoga is going to be beneficial for me because of X, Y, Z? And yoga can be great. But the biggest key for, for me is for yoga is that you are taking the time to be mindful about your breath for that. 30 minutes or that hour so yes do yoga if you want to incorporate the stretching and, and get involved in that whole practice but just taking time out of your day whether it's yoga or not to tune into your breath is the really big key for anybody who's trying to decrease pain and anxiety mm-hmm. which is a great segue into the other point when we were talking about removal of of stimulus within your day and then also addition of a stimulus one of the big things is that a lot of people only took time for their bodies when they were booking in with a practitioner that and again that's a lot of pressure on the practitioner to quote unquote fix or undo everything that has occurred between the appointments so there's a responsibility that we have between appointments to try and progress and adapt but what I strongly encourage people do because there's so many demands on most people's plates these days is that they book in time just like you would with your practitioner but for yourself because when we're busy working or we're reading news or anything like that those are all moments where we would consider that someone is is really in their brain and a lot less so in their body yeah So if you can do anything for yourself, it's take that commuting time and take some of that time to just go and check in with yourself. And that doesn't mean go do a HIIT workout. We have nothing against HIIT workouts. In fact, we've got a couple of podcasts on them. But checking in with yourself and down-tuning discomfort and understanding what's happening in your body does take a degree of stillness. And it does take time to check in with your breath. I often have clients check in with their breath at various points in the day, say whenever you go to the washroom. It's super simple and you can just breathe for a minute and check what your rate is. If you're up at like 14 to 18, and you have pain, there's a great opportunity right there to lower your rate, down tune your stress response, and down tune your pain response. 14 to 18 breaths per minute for those who weren't sure. Sorry, did I just say randomly numbers? Yeah. Cool. Excellent. <laughs> Within that time too, move. I mean, kinesiophobia is, is a big problem when it comes to injury and pain management is that because of well, for a variety of reasons, because of what we see out there and read about, you know, backs being fragile or, oh, about muscles like glutes being completely asleep or, or whatnot, there's a fear around our bodies. And when we take more time to learn about them and to be curious and to understand how much we can actually contribute conscious control to, then we're able to also move past kinesiophobia or milder forms that's a more extreme form of a fear of movement when you're injured there is an inflammatory process movement can help with that i'm not suggesting that if you just broke your bone go like run on it that's we're not discussing that right now do Do not not do do that do not do please go to er um (laughs) 
but when it when it comes to injuries or pain movement helps it gives you a new stimulus so if we go back to that an um, example of burning your hand one of the key things that helps that pain is pressure so instead of heat you add pressure you squeeze the fingers that hurt and that changes the feedback and sensation the other side of it is you're usually grabbing that hand with the other hand that's telling your brain that oh guess what it's still there Dane had a mishap a few weeks ago now, right before we went to travel. And I'm going to tell this story because I think it's hilarious. But it <laughs> is throwing hilarious. Dane under the bus. It probably would have gone better for me if the knife was actually sharper. <laughs> yeah. So we were both in the kitchen. He was cutting something. I had my I had Sweet briefly potatoes. glanced down at something else. And all I hear is a yell. And I look up and there's blood literally spattered 360 degrees around the kitchen even on the ceiling it was really impressive actually so Dane's holding his hand with his other hand and I have no idea what's happened other than there's blood everywhere so you can assume there's a cut and at that stage he couldn't even tell me whether he had cut the tips of three fingers one or like completely severed one I was concerned it was concerned. I couldn't feel. It hurt. It felt like it was probably three, but I was like, I don't even want to look at this because my hand was just like in a fist at that yep. point. So I couldn't see the tips of any of my fingers and I was squeezing them as hard as I could just be like, I hope you are all intact. <laughs> so the point there is, um, please don't go cut your fingers. But the point is, even with something that had just occurred, he had no idea without looking whether it had happened to three fingers or one. There was, of course, a lot of pain, but he's adding pressure to a wound, which, by the way, if you cut yourself, please just apply pressure for 15 minutes, like, straight up before trying to clean it up or anything like that. Um, (laughs) First aid 101. But when it finally came to, and we were able to take the other hand off and open up his injured hand, we realized that, like... And I had asked him, I think, before, should I start looking for your fingertip? And I meant that sincerely. I'm not making a joke because there was that much blood everywhere that Mm. I thought, okay, if we have to start looking for a fingertip, I need to put that on ice before we go to ER. Turns out we didn't have to. Yes, there was a really good chunk taken out of one finger. But again, the pain sensation was so great that he could have severed all of them and it would have been just about the same. So it's a great example of how our sensation of pain can be greatly distorted from from what the reality of the damage actually is. We should have given a little disclaimer before we talked about that. That because that kind of made me a little dizzy and nauseous over here. So that's because it happened to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope that didn't make anyone go vasovagal. Uh, but yeah, and that was what two days before we had to fly to scotland and this was just as we were starting to get like news in saying that this virus was potentially spreading and you should definitely take you know sanitizer with you everyone i'm like sweet now my hand has an open cut right on the tip of a finger awesome this is great news (laughs) Uh, don't worry you have many other orifices for which viruses can enter thankfully i wore little finger condoms it's fine yeah Yeah. So there you go. That's our great example of pain sensation being pretty distorted, but also that changing the stimulus can help. So in those cases, we add pressure or we add cold instead of heat and things like that to change the stimulus to the area and calm the system down. So 
Movement is a key way of changing the stimulus to an area. Again, I'm not talking about like, you know, you broke your arm and now start moving it. We're discussing pain management from tension or from uh, something that is like joint related where you've got a little bit of stiffness creating discomfort. Move the joint. Take the joints that hurt and see if you can move them gently. And if you have pain in a certain range, move them through the other ranges, but don't let everything go rigid. Because when we let things go rigid, we're also learning a pattern of non-use. We become afraid of that arm because it hurt. And now we're deconditioning. Deconditioning is skill-specific and system-specific. So um, without going into that fully, if you imagine never using your arm again, like your brain's going to be really smart and start to use everything else. But that arm can cause problems just being a dead weight. And now your neck's going to hurt and, and your torso and even your gait will be thrown off. So that's an extreme, extreme example. And you would see a lot of atrophy or muscle loss through that side. So whenever you have discomfort, we encourage people to gently move through it. And now with our clients, we're obviously very specific about how and when and with what techniques but right now, just generally speaking, given we're not speaking to specific injuries or anything like that, if you are safe to do so, try to move the joint gently and stay away from pain ranges and check in with it. Whatever you do, don't let everything just go still and be afraid of it because that could just heighten the whole system and result in guarding or deconditioning. With that said, you can also go through reflexive relaxation techniques throughout all tissues. So there are apps that can guide you through that. Uh, the Breath Book with Natasha has one video on that. Generally speaking, a lot of people carry way more tension than they think they do. And the potential to let go of that relies on us being still enough, long enough to consciously influence our tone. And on the topic of relaxation and pain management, music is a really big one. So there's a significant amount of research on vagus nerve stimulation and there are a number of music protocols that are used for that. Breathing is also used for that and that does downtune your nervous system. It allows your body and your brain to feel safe which lowers how much our whole system is riled up or, or how much sensitivity is heightened. So with music, I've been using music since I was... I guess for almost 20 years now, strategically uh, at night to help with sleep, but also to help with uh, any anxiety, stress, or pain. And there's a significant amount of research also showing the impact it has on mental health. Anxiety can also drive pain sensations. So they all loop together. We cannot separate the emotional, the physical, and the psychological from one another. And if we can use simple tools like a safe and sound protocol or various forms of like classical blended with binaural beats, those are all things that you can use to downtune your system. And you pair it with breathing, and that is quite powerful to at least prevent anything from becoming overwhelming. Even if you don't love classical music, if you're feeling super stressed out, ungrounded, out of control, anxious, put some classical music on. Some light, gentle classical music. This is something that Freya does at dinner time now, especially if I'm a little irritated for any such reason. <laughs> um, we always put music on at dinner, but if stress is high, classical is the default that gets put on. And I was a little skeptical at first when this started happening. And then one day we were just eating dinner and I looked at it up and I was just like, God damn it, I really enjoy this. 
what he says skeptical, I believe the uh, precise verbiage was only grandmothers and psychopaths listen to classical. Well, in my experience, that was the truth until we started doing it. So we broke the mold. <laughs> I've used classical music to study with. And no, that was not from the whole like baby Beethoven era. I'm older than that. Mostly just because I found it calming. But we as a family used it or used it, listened to it at dinner time. And yeah, we started instating that as well at a time when I was dealing with a neurotoxin that was causing increased pain sensitivity. And, um, you know, Dane was slightly hesitant at first. And then two months later, we're going to the symphony. So there you go. You just never know. It may seem like something that only old people do, but I challenge you. It's quite pleasant. Oh, yeah. It's like, God damn, this is pleasant. <laughs> so all joking aside, we really encourage people not to overlook the basics, uh, the basics of checking with your breathing and practicing that. We have seen some phenomenal changes in tissue tone within our client population just by them focusing on that and on check-ins that are as small as one minute done like four times a day. It's not hard. Most of us have the time to do that. And yes, it does take practice, but it's a really powerful tool to have in your back pocket. In addition to that, booking in time with yourself and trying to go through gentle movements. Don't be afraid of moving. Obviously, don't push into pain as well, but try to gently move the joint through its range and see what information you're getting from it. In addition to that, music can help and you can use that at any time in your day. In the background, to help you sleep, wake up in the morning, whatever it is, but it should be something that is calming to your system. So those are some of the things that you can use to downtune pain response and to check in with your system. Some other strategies for self-care and pain management or injury management when you cannot get manual treatment are obviously surrounding some of the homework that hopefully you've been given from your practitioners or your trainers. But also note that some of our clients reported feeling better now because they were getting over-treated before. So Overtreatment is another key issue is that if you are noticing that when you're doing certain things, you're holding your breath or you're bracing for it, then there's a chance your nervous system isn't okay with whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's a body care tool or whether it's something uh, that you're having done manually. So that's something that's interesting that came out uh, over the last few weeks is certain people were feeling better because they were not getting as frequent treatment and they were having more time to assimilate the treatment in between. So that would be a positive thing. With that said, we do have the capacity to heal. We definitely do need to make room for it. So if you're living at a really fast clip, there isn't adequate room to rest and to recover or even to book in and with yourself and move. So those are things that we need in order to thrive. When it comes to moving, one other little point is uh, when you try to take joints through their range, what you can also do is change the load. So with one of my injuries, when I sheared a significant portion of my spine, I couldn't move one of my arms, but lying on the ground and sliding it around on the ground allowed me to move it. So it may be that you cannot fully move a joint when you're standing upright, but you can always try to lie down or sit down, change the weight of it, that's load variability, and see what it tells you then because if it's something there then okay great maybe it was the load of the position you're in that was problematic so you can be your own little 
body detective within this to figure out what things allow you to feel better and what things you don't want to do now I'm not encouraging people to pick the scab and keep like aggravating the range like don't keep checking the range that you found to be painful (laughs) this happens with a lot of people where they just they're like oh yeah when I do this it hurts and then they keep doing that every day so I'm not suggesting that find the things that create that but then find the things that keep you away from that pain threshold and work on those Yeah, and as a general rule of thumb getting closer to the ground will keep the nervous system safe Mm -hmm. and will do a better job of reducing load as Freya just said if you're not can't be upright lay down on the ground but the closer you are to the ground the safer your body will feel and your nervous system may permit movement that's not possible uh, when you're standing Mm. this is why animal flow is so awesome you bring your brain close to the ground and you feel safer bingo bango (laughs) terrible um so last few like rapid fire things with back pain if uh, you have just developed some stiffness or back discomfort walk push through your big toes I can't emphasize that enough push off through your big toes swing your arms look ahead don't look down at a phone please and and do check your shoes If you've recently switched to shoes that are really worn down, chances are high that they're not jiving very well with your hips. So do get out and walk, take movement breaks, we call them movement snacks throughout the day, and make sure that you're hydrated. Some people right now are spending a lot more time sitting than than if they were reporting into work, and that alone is just going to create stiffness. And it's not to say that you have a pathological issue there, it's just No one feels good staying in one static position for that long. So add in variability, add in hydration. And if you find that it is something that's chronic, then definitely take a look at your footwear. Push off through your big toes and swing your arms when you walk. Yeah, get outside. There's, I think, as far as I know, there's few places right now that are on total lockdown and you can't get out of your apartment or your house. Get outside, zigzag all over the place, give other people room, move fast. It helps you get around other people, wear a mask if you have to, but get outside and walk if you have back pain especially. With shoulder and neck pain, just a couple general things as well. Take breaks from typing and from looking down at your phone. (laughs) You would not believe the number of people we've had where we're trying to troubleshoot their shoulders and their neck and in the gym and with practitioners and then all it took was oh I just stopped looking down at my phone as much and I feel better awesome if the solution is that simple that's brilliant we weren't built to keep looking down and we weren't built to hold a tiny device all day typing so any sort of um, neck or dominant arm issue you have right now give it a shot to just take more frequent breaks and stop looking down as much maybe make it a rule that you only check it at certain times of the day because right now it can be really easy to just get locked into those screens and once upon a time not too long ago we didn't have that option so we didn't see as many of these uh, chronic issues check in with your breathing again and again The tissues that impact your shoulders and your neck are breathing accessory tissues. So if you are in that heightened stress response, you're breathing fast, you're really focused on a work task that you find moderately stressful, chances are very high you're developing more tension through your neck and shoulders than is necessary. And taking breaks to check in can be just enough to down tune that. When it comes to back pain and neck pain, 
We encourage movement breaks, whether you have a standing desk or not. We've had a lot of people say, oh, but I have a standing desk. So do we. And guess what? I can stick my head forward just as much at a standing desk and shrug my shoulders just as much as at a seated one. And you can definitely generate a huge amount of of neck tension. And if your head's constantly forward, you're adding a lot of load to your lower back. So it's full cycle. Nothing within our body is fully isolated. Everything is interconnected. We've got a lot of wonderful redundancy to make sure that our body stays in one piece, but it also has tolerance points. With necks, it's also worth checking your pillows. Everyone spends a significant amount of time in their beds, hopefully, because they're sleeping eight hours a night. That would be the dream. (laughs) everyone out there is getting seven to nine hours of sleep right (laughs) and uh pillows often get overlooked and we've changed our own i was on a hunt for uh, about six months for a pillow that wouldn't cause pain um in the night and finally found one that suited me well but we've encouraged clients to change theirs as well at given times when they're reporting waking up a certain way if you're waking up with a stiff neck or stiff shoulders then yes there may be some things in the daytime that are aggravating that but also your sleep situation should be as restorative as possible and whether it's the position you're in or the pillows that you're using they may not be working super well for you so it's worth looking at when the last time you changed it or maybe it's just not really the right height for your shoulders for hip and knee pain or foot pain, uh, check your feet. (laughs) So hips and knees and feet all go hand in hand. Check how much you've been sitting or standing. Essentially what we're going to say is static postures. So if you've been in a chronic posture uh, for the vast majority of the day, then your knees and your hips may not like you very much and your hips and feet are completely intertwined so when one's jacked up the other one will be and vice versa it's worth checking in with your feet we encourage every single one of our clients to roll out their feet gently please don't smash those tissues and also do toe activations and things like short foot which we can link in here and we've had other podcasts discussing that but if any of those tissues hurt check how much you're moving introduce more movement breaks and really do take care of your feet because that will go a really long way further to that to just link it right back up to breathing back to square one when you're breathing well you are impacting your pelvic floor which then brings about pelvis and hip stability so if you're chronically stressed breathing or holding your breath you're also limiting the amount of movement you have throughout your entire torso which has an impact on your low back and hips again we're giving the cliff notes of all these things key little takeaways is if um you have back pain, shoulder, neck pain, hip, knee, and feet pain. You've got a few little things there that you can focus on. And I'd just like to add in two little things. One is to remember to be nice to yourself. In this time, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world. So if you're just feeling anxious for no reason, you're not sure, understand that those feelings will come and go. So just be nice to yourself. And further to that is... Remember that you are in control of your choices. So as much as we are, you know, some of us might feel trapped. It's Groundhog Day for a lot of people. Remember that you're still ultimately in control of how you shape your home environment and what you decide to do with your time. And finally, Freya is going to give everyone a book recommendation for this time. Well, that's kind of two. I'm going to give you a book recommendation and a podcast recommendation. So the first one, the book recommendation, 
recommendation I think is one that I've mentioned before is polyvagal theory by Stephen Porges and a lot of other people have written about it but I would recommend reading his just to get some examples of what a systemic response is to threat and to pain and to understand that whatever it is that you're feeling is just your body trying to keep you alive so as much as it may not be pleasant and the signals can get mixed I always find it's really helpful to understand where those roots come from and um appreciate it for whatever reactions it's giving you rather than um, letting it get the best of you or feel like you're broken. The podcast recommendation is, um, I cannot remember the exact title, but if you search Gabor Mate COVID-19, he has done two talks, both of which do focus around the stress response of our current climate. And Why I'm recommending this is because it relates directly into our pain sensation or our current experience at this time. So while he's not going to discuss how to help you with your knee that hurts, his focus is really on the stress and trauma response. But I think that that right now is important for most people to take a look at at least in terms of how they're experiencing things within their body as well because again we cannot separate our emotional side and our physiological side as much as it would be nice to separate the two at times i second both of those recommendations very good read and uh very good lesson so that is all we have for you today i hope that some of these takeaway messages resonated with you guys out there and that they can help you feel better in your body each and every day throughout this difficult period as always, thank you for tuning into the Move Daily Health Podcast, and we hope to catch you next time. Catch you later. Okay. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.